Well, good morning, church family. My name is Drake, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I guess you already have your Bibles open, so you don't need to open them up. Uh, we're kicking off uh, another passage in a series of chapters um, where Paul, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, he kind of starts answering a lot of different questions that the Corinthians have. So in chapter 7, we see this transition of now concerning, uh, and that's where he's beginning to answer some of these questions that they had for him, and we see it again in this chapter. But the interesting thing is that in chapter 12, where we're going to be starting this morning, this is the section of Scripture, the answer, that he spends the most time on, okay? So with the Corinthians, we've seen a series of different issues, okay? Like someone's getting drunk at the communion table. Someone was sleeping with their stepmom. There's division within the church. But this topic here is what Paul decides to spend three different chapters on with the Corinthians, and that is on the topic of spiritual gifts, And spiritual gifts can just be understood as gifts of God's grace given to enable us to build up the body of Christ. And the reason that Paul spends so much on this topic is that he knows that spiritual gifts can have a significant impact for the better or the detriment of a church family. And spiritual gifts, it points to the complexity of the body of Christ. One where there's unity and uniqueness. We know that us in Christ, we unite around so many different things, so many promises of who we are in Christ, but yet at the same time, each one of us individually, God has made unique for the body of Christ. And what we'll see is that if unity is overemphasized and we don't understand the unique elements that we all bring to the table, It will be a dull picture of the multifaceted beauty that God intended with his church family. But if the uniqueness is overemphasized, it leads to competition and division. So just like, I want you to imagine kind of the the worship band that was just up here. Imagine one of the guitarists. I'll say Shane, crushing the guitar, all right? Let's say he randomly decides to go off on the most random solo, and he's crushing it, but it is not the same song at all, right? It's not the same melody, it's nothing, but he is playing an amazing solo. Here's what we know. Incredible talent, wrongly applied, leads to the breakdown of the song. Like, it's not going to mesh well. And that's what's happening in the Corinthian church. People are putting an emphasis on how amazing their spiritual gift is, and it's pointing the arrows back on themselves, not on the glory of God, not on the harmony and unity that should be experienced. And for us, we exist in a culture that longs for uniqueness. It's the current that we swim in. Like, how can I be more unique than the people around me? How can I stand out in order to have value as an individual. And so we need to lean in this morning because what I know is that we are just as likely to fall in the trap that the Corinthians did as well. We need to understand both the unity and the uniqueness and how they mesh together to bring about beauty 
and the body of Christ. And so to grasp this reality, there are some things that we need to know about the Spirit of God first. We're going to look at the necessity of the Spirit. We're going to look at the Spirit's purpose and the Spirit's invitation. First, the necessity of the Spirit. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So he uses that phrase, now concerning. We're taking a shift from talking about communion and what happened there and the real purpose of it. Now we're going to be talking about the idea of spiritual gifts. And he's saying, I I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I don't want to get to the end of this letter and you don't have a proper understanding of what spiritual gifts are and how to be used in the church context. Because he knows that if they are wrongly applied, it could break down the church family. And what he sees is that there is a problem of this already happening in the Corinthian church. And so what is happening at Corinth is that they are elevating the more showy, the more experiential type of spiritual gifts. Primarily, the one that was being overemphasized or placed up on a pedestal was the gift of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues is a real gift that God gives. It's this heavenly language that one can have in communion with God. And then God also gives an interpreter to interpret what those words are in order to bless the body of Christ. But what was happening here is that there weren't any interpreters, People were in a loud voice just going off in their tongues with no intention of blessing the greater body, but in order to draw arrows back on them and say, look how great my gifts are. And that was leading to uh, almost like this ranking system within the church family. Some people were elevated and some people were ashamed because they didn't have the gifts like that person did. And to a community like this, Paul wants to remind them of something. He says, remember, you were at one time, one time pagans. You were far from God. You were led by mute idols. Okay, Some versions substitute the word mute for dumb. Just straight to the point. You had these idols that had no ability to talk, no ability to impact change, and that is what you worshipped. He even says, like, I have no idea how you were even led by these, but you were. This kind of mirrors the the phrase from Habakkuk 2.18 that says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. He's saying, at one time you were creating idols with your own hands. So what that means is you're making a simpler object than yourself and you're worshiping that to lead you. He's saying, I want you to remember how you were led, the way of life that you were living before the Spirit of God entered your heart. And he would have the same question for us this morning. Before the Spirit of God changed your life, what were you being led by? What were you, what was driving the way that you were living? And I know, okay, everyone in this room, like, I'm pretty sure you were not worshiping some mute, mute kind of sculpture in your house, right? Maybe a trophy of some kind, but for the most part, not that. But what I do know is that you put a God-sized weight 
on something that wasn't God and had as much of a chance of satisfying you as a mute sculpted idol. You crafted something in your mind and in your heart that you felt like you needed in order to be satisfied, whether it was an image, a career, an achievement, someone else's approval. You, you crafted these things. If I had that, then I would be satisfied. All these things we felt like we were choosing, but it was actually controlling us. Paul is saying, remember where you were. And then he says these words, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what he's doing here is he's simplifying it as much as he can for us. He's saying if the Spirit of God has entered your life, you are unable to say Jesus is a curse and mean it from your heart. And if the Spirit of God is not in your life, you are unable to say the words, Jesus is Lord, and mean it from your heart. So he's speaking to this church full of people that are saying, hey, look how amazing my gifts are. Like, I want to get up on a pedestal and show off my spiritual gifts that God has chosen me to use them through. And he's saying, don't you remember that without the Spirit of God in your heart, you can't even utter the words, Jesus is Lord, what reason do you have to boast in the gifts that God chooses to work through you? This makes me think about, so we had a new addition to our family six weeks ago, Hattie Rose, um, and here's what I've already learned about Hattie Rose. She's really good at letting you know when she's hungry, okay? And she's pretty bad at getting herself food. That's just where she's at. I was hoping a little more independence by this point, but here's what's true about an infant, where they are incredibly hungry, they are completely dependent on the mom for food. No chance to get food on their own. Here's what this text is saying. You are unable to say the words, Jesus is Lord, without the Spirit of God prompting you to. And that should take all arrows off of ourselves and point them back to the one that deserves it. It should cause a humility and a dependence on the Spirit who is working through us. And so, therefore, we know that we are completely dependent on the Spirit of God for any sort of spiritual gift to flow through us. And now that we are, are dependent on Him, we can understand the right purpose of these spiritual gifts. And so we're looking at point two, the Spirit's purpose. Let's look at verse four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so the text talks about a couple different things. It talks about gifts, service, and activities. So let's walk through each one of those. So gifts, we can understand that as the Spirit's enabling power within us to build up the body of Christ. So in this chapter, as well as Romans 12, we see different lists of what spiritual gifts could be. And those aren't all-encompassing lists because if you look at the different lists, they don't perfectly match. And so we know that Paul is just kind of going through a couple different options. Service. These are unique roles 
that God places within the church to build up and bless the body of Christ. So in Ephesians 4, we see a list of that, that he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to, build, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So those are unique roles that God gives to bless the body. Activities. This could be God's miraculous power that's on display in a given moment. This could be an unreal act of faith, an unreal moment of wisdom that God blesses someone in a moment. But when we look at these, we see kind of a different name being tied to all of them. We see gifts connected to the Spirit. We see service connected to the Lord and activities connected to God. And so what some people have done is that they've said, okay, does that mean that the Spirit is the one that gives gifts? Christ is the one that equips for the service, and then the Father is the one who gives the activities. But we know if we just keep reading the text that that's not the case. Because later in this text, we say it's one and the same Spirit that equips all of these gifts, all people with these gifts. And so what I think it's really doing is trying to get us to have a right understanding of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is not just this presence that is amongst us. It is a member. He is a member of the Trinity. Fully God. Unique in his role to play out in the church context. And so as we read through this chunk of 1 Corinthians 12, we see two words over and over. We see same and variety. So we see that there's a variety of different giftings, variety of different service and activities, but every single time it is the same spirit over and over and over. The emphasis of this part of the passage is all gifts start with the Spirit. That's what it's trying to give us a right understanding of to draw our attention to. And now that we know where all the gifts flow from, we can know also where they flow to. And we see that in the next verse, the purpose of these gifts. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What does that mean? What that means is that there is no such thing as a spiritually giftless Christian. Every Christian in this room has spiritual gifts. And so what's our first question? What's my spiritual gift, right? That's what everyone's wondering. That's what we all wonder when we come to a passage like this is what are my spiritual gifts? Like, do I need to look really hard at this passage and just see what word kind of resonates with me? Do I need to take one of like 30 different online quizzes to, to answer and see what spiritual gift pops up at the end? Even though we know we just answer them to get the gift that we want, right? Like that's how we usually take those. But here's the thing, Paul didn't send a link with this letter, okay? And so if we keep reading, we'll realize that here, here's the spoiler. You're not going to figure out your spiritual gift this morning. It's not going to happen. And I also think that that's not where Paul wants us to end our focus of this verse. Because where he wants us to focus is after the word for. Where it says, to all are given the manifestation of the Spirit for for the common good. Spiritual gifts all flow from the same source, the Spirit of God, and all flow towards the same purpose, the common good of building up the body of Christ. And so the question 
that Paul wants you to ask as a result of this passage is not what are my spiritual gifts, but how can I love the people around me as much as possible? And then how might God gift you to do that work? So we're not to be people that just sit around and wait to figure out what our spiritual gifts are. We're to step in and invest in this family and see how the Spirit equips us to do that. When I was working on this, it made me think of, so one of my hobbies that uh, I love doing is woodworking, okay? And when I started this hobby, I got through that, I kind of dove deep into that YouTube kind of rabbit hole of product reviews, you know? And it's just like, this product you don't have, this one you don't have, this one you don't have. It's like all these tools that I, I felt like I needed. And what I realized and I, is, what am I doing? Like my, the whole reason I was interested in woodworking was to make stuff. So maybe I should do that. And as I make things, see what tools I use along the way. Here's what I think this passage is saying. We are not supposed to spend all of our time asking what spiritual gifts do I have and analyzing these passages and frantically trying to figure that out. The purpose is for the common good. So what if we chose to invest heavily in loving this family and then saw how God would gift us along the way? Seek for ways to serve this church family. Seek for ways to invest as much as you can in your connection group. Seek for every opportunity to welcome the new people that come into this room to make this place feel a little bit more like family. And as you invest, here are some questions that you can ask yourself to kind of process out maybe what gifts do you have? So I'm just going to read off a list of these. The first one, what do you see lacking in this church family? I think what, what we see is lacking. A lot of times we can be critical about, but a lot of times it's also the way that we're designed and we're the ones that's supposed to bring it to the table. After about, I would say, a year's time in your connection group, ask people in your group, like, what do I bring to this room? The way that we're designed is so normal to us that we don't notice it. So we need to ask other people who have other giftings, what do I bring to the table? But again, that is from a lot of time knowing those people. Is there an element of the brokenness of this world that causes anger for you? A lot of times anger in our heart is because we see things happening as they ought not to be and it motivates us to step into that brokenness. What things cause you to be built up or encouraged? Are there things that you know exhaust you and you can just count those out? Are there things that you find multiple people bringing up about you? Like people that aren't even connected, but they they encourage you in some way that is similar across the board. What attribute of Christ do you find yourself continuously amazed by? Again, all these questions are not so that you can walk away and sit down this afternoon with your cup of coffee and fully analyze this in order to figure out your spiritual gift. But as you invest in this family, as you sacrifice your time for the sake of someone else, 
These can help you even process what might be the gifts that the Spirit is equipping you with to build up this family. And so now that we know that the Spirit is the one who equips us, and we know the purpose that the Spirit is trying to move us towards, we also see an incredible invitation given by the Spirit. And that's our third point. The Spirit's invitation. Would you look at verse 8 with me? For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between tongues, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Distinguish between spirits, if I said that right. Uh, So, Paul is laying out, again, a, a short list of gifts here in this passage. Wisdom. Okay, wisdom is one of the ones that we see. This is the ability to apply knowledge to a practical, everyday moment. We see this throughout the book of Proverbs, right? It's practical wisdom for everyday life. Okay, what about the gift of faith? Something that all of us Christians have, like we all have a faith in what Christ has done for us, but there can be a unique gifting to believe God no matter the circumstance that stands before you. The gift of tongues, an ability to speak in a heavenly language for the benefit of the church. And then again, it talks about those who interpret tongues in order that 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 speech that is said can actually be interpreted to bless the body of Christ. There's more. There's the the gift of healing and miracles. But what we see the emphasis of this part is again, all of these flow from the same source, the Spirit of God. And what I want to do for the rest of our time is spend a little bit more time unpacking verse 11. So let's read that. All these are empowered by, the, by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So again, we see the Spirit is the one where all of these gifts flow from But then I want to look at a couple of other words here. First one, that the Spirit who apportions each one. What does that mean? When it says apportions, what it means is that even though these gifts are expressed through individuals, there can be a varying degree of that gift. And so we understand this in the the realm of skill sets, right? Like, my mom told me all growing up that I had a beautiful singing voice. It wasn't until I got around other people, I realized that wasn't true at all, mom. And so we know in the realm of like skills like singing, there's a varying degree there, even amongst people who are good at singing, right? So what's being said here is that even in the, the gifts that are given by the Spirit of God, there can be a varying degree that God in all his understanding gives to each and every one of us with the unique giftings that he gives. So an example might be the gift of faith. Again, all of us have faith to some degree. But when I thought about an incredible amount of faith, it made me think of 
a Christian leader, George Mueller, from the 19th century. And I have this paragraph that describes the incredible faith, the gift of faith that this man had. So George Mueller built five large orphan houses and cared for 10,024 orphans in his lifetime. He prayed in millions of dollars in today's currency for the orphans and never asked anyone directly for money. He never took a salary in the last 68 years of his ministry, but trusted God to put in people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan or went into debt, and neither he nor the orphans were ever hungry. 10,000 orphans. And he just simply prayed, God, would you provide what we need? Never asked anyone for money. That is an incredible gift of faith. But where it's helpful to understand the idea of a variety of giving of that gift is we hear stories like that. Or we look at people like Paul and we're just like, all right, I don't have that gift, I guess. Like, I don't, my, my faith isn't like that. But what we see is that God, in all of his understanding, can give to us a varying degree of each and every one of those gifts, whatever ones he chooses to bless us with. Another part of this verse that I want to focus on is simply the words at the end of the sentence that says, as he wills. Because we need to understand that spiritual gifts is an invitation for us to trust God. And this is a, a big part of my story because a lot of my walk with Jesus, I have had a growing discontentment with the giftings that I have. I look out at all the other people that have different giftings than me, and I just get jealous of, I want that one. I want that one, I want that one. And if I'm being honest, like, I don't want those giftings to build up the body of Christ. I, I want those for my own name. But what I know is that while I was spending all of my time looking at all the giftings that I don't have, what that kept me from is bringing the giftings I do have to the church family. And what it led to was me being exhausted because I was focused on trying to be someone that I'm not. And in contrast to that, my wife has exemplified someone who is able to cheer on people when they succeed in their gifts. When God utilizes people in their gifts that are different than hers, she is the first one there to cheer them on, to celebrate who they are. And I needed to understand this passage like she did. I need to, needed to see that for me to understand this passage... It means that I'm not just questioning myself when I look at my giftings, I'm questioning God. I'm questioning the way that he made me, ultimately. And when I'm freed up to celebrate others in their giftings, what that means is that I'm also freed up to bring my giftings to the table. Because people don't become a means of comparison but a means to join in the great celebration of the gifts of God in our life. And so when we look at how we're wired, 
It's an opportunity, it's an invitation for us to trust the Spirit's decision of how he made us. The way that I want to end is by focusing on the fact that these gifts are given to each one of you individually. So what that means is that if you're a Christian in this room, God has gifted the person in your seat. Where he could have designed the world in so many different ways for him to love his bride, the church, and had us sit on the sidelines, he wanted to invite you to be a part of that joy. In his grace, he gives you gifts to take part in the joyful opportunity of blessing and building up and encouraging this church family. Just like a parent that gives their kid money so they can buy another family member a gift, God in all of his grace and all of his kindness gives spiritual gifts so that you can take part in the joy of building up his bride. And when we understand that, we realize that's not a place where we need to question our gifts. But that's a place for us to wonder at how amazing it is that we get to be a part of that story. Christian, do you know the joy that Christ is inviting you to? One where we in our uniqueness are building one another up as we're all united in the celebration and in the glorifying of God. Redemption, let's chase after this together, all for his glory and our joy. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and we We thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross in our place to live out the perfect life that we were supposed to live and to die on the cross that we deserve to die on where we were far off, your blood brought us near and then you sent your spirit to live within us so that we could take part of the amazing story of living for your kingdom, of being a different type of family And God, I pray that wherever someone's at this morning, that they would realize that you completed everything on their behalf. There's no competition that's needed. There's no comparison that's needed because all of us are level at the cross. And would we see the incredible invitation that you have given us to take part in the joy of loving one another, to take part in the joy of celebrating what Christ has done for all of eternity we will get to rejoice in your name, King Jesus. And so I pray that we would fix our eyes on you as we turn to worship right now, because only when we have our eyes fixed on you will we be able to celebrate the beauty of both our unity and what makes us unique as a family. I send your name and pray. Amen.